This is The Bayes Factor, a podcast about the people behind Bayesian statistics and other hot methodological issues in psychological research. In this second episode, Alex and I interview Erik Jan Wagemakers, otherwise known as EJ. Among other things, we discuss how he got into Bayesian statistics, chess addiction, and the 005 controversy. So EJ, tell us about yourself. Where do you come from? Well, I uh, spent most of my uh, life before I went to university in uh, Friesland. This is a province in the northern part of the Netherlands. Mm. Uh-huh. And uh, then I went to study in uh, at Groningen University, which is also in the northern part of the Netherlands. And uh, when after I finished my studies, I moved to Amsterdam. And uh, that's where I did my PhD. I, later on, I did a, a postdoc in uh, at Northwestern. But then I uh, returned to Amsterdam and I've been there ever since. Okay. You spent some time in Indiana, didn't you? Yeah, that was during my uh, during my PhD. Uh, I, I thought one of the attractions when I applied for my PhD position was that it included a visit to uh, the lab of Rich Schifrin at mm. IU. And uh, as time progressed, I started to wonder, is this ever going to happen? And it turned out that I was the one that actually should take the initiative to, to get that done. And so I did, and I spent... Uh, one academic season uh, in Bloomington, which was an amazing time. Right, nice. Oh, were your parents also in the academic world, or? Uh, not at all. Uh, uh, my father uh, was a uh, um, minister. Uh, so, um, what's the right uh, English word for uh, for a Protestant? Uh, yeah, uh, I think something like minister. Oh, is vicar Catholic? I don't know. I think yeah. ministers. Well, yeah, yeah. ministers uh, are very general. Yeah. 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 So. Uh, yeah, so I um, uh, I did have a religious upbringing, but it was a, f- a very pleasant one because nothing was forced on me. So as soon as I ignore it. yeah yeah well or even argue against it, oh, and wow. uh, very quickly I decided that this was not for me and that was no problem with my parents. So okay. that was really nice actually. Yeah, yes, yes. So um, w- uh, w- can you tell us something about your current job? Uh, well, uh, right now I'm a professor at the uh, Department of uh, Psychology at the University of Amsterdam and specifically in the uh, uh, Department of Psychological uh, Methods. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, this is where I, I obviously teach. Uh, I teach uh, a course uh, on good research practices. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, yeah, it was called that because we have obviously questionable research practices, and you didn't want to go for unquestionable. D- yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Or, or you know, you could call the the course questionable research practices and seek to avoid those. But uh, it, it uh, that sounds overly negative, so we went for the positive good research practices. And of course, uh, I'm I'm also teaching a course on Bayesian statistics. Um, We're not surprised. Right, and uh, um, yeah, there's a part of my work that deals with. Uh, uh, Bayesian methods for cognitive models, uh, how people uh, how people reason, how people r- remember things, uh, uh, how people make decisions. And then there's, of course, the part where uh, I develop uh, and implement Bayesian techniques purely for statistics. And this is also uh, then implemented in our program JASP, which... Uh, we'll come back to that later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of Bayesian SPSS. Yeah, so do you have any uh, hobbies outside of academia? 
Well, I used to be a uh, phonetic uh, chess player. Ah. So uh, um, when I uh, did my uh, studies, I uh, did my studies in psychology at the University of Groningen, as I already said, but I spent really most of my time just playing chess. I must have played in a time, p- time window of 10 years. I think on average, I played for about three uh, hours every day. Wow. So, um, but I was really lucky because uh, 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 many of my friends were more talented in chess than I, uh, I am. So they developed to become, on, uh, to become grandmasters. But it's kind of in terms of your career, unless you're in the top 100 of the world, it's kind of a dead end. Mm-hmm. And so I was lucky to have just not enough talent to, to do it professionally. And this meant that uh, after I completed my studies, it was, uh, it was pretty clear what I needed to do. And that was not become a chess player, but oh. uh, go into academia. Were you a member of Philidor? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Great. So um, now that's the intro part. Uh, now we have some specific questions uh, tailored to you, uh, but this is another general, quite general one. So we were so curious. What was the first time you ever heard of Bayesian statistics? Well, um, I must. It must have come up during the first stats course. Um, in Groningen. In Groningen, yeah, probably in relation to the base rate fallacy, right? Where you have a mm. you have a rare disease, you mm-hmm. get a test, it shows you may have the disease. Uh, what's the probability that you have the disease? Well, if the disease is rare, that probability could still be surprisingly low. Right. Um, so that it must have come up, but I have no recollection of it. Oh. Um, but um, I my interest in Bayes developed when I was a PhD student. Uh, with Jeroen Rijmakers, mm. and um, who's not a Bayesian, if I'm no, Jeroen is not a Bayesian, uh, but he is a mathematical psychologist, and true. within mathematical psychology, certainly at the time, so we are talking 1996, seven, eight, uh, there uh, was an increased interest in how do you compare competing models, right? mm. especially if they are non-nested and. Um, there were a few special issues in the Journal of Mathematical Psychology, and in particular, uh, Jay Myung and Mark Pitt, uh, they pushed the Bayesian uh, agenda. And it is really through their papers that I started to be interested in, oh. um, in the Bayesian um, paradigm. And so I came into it from a different angle. So most people come in from it, they, they start with estimation, and then at some point they discover that you can also use Bayes for testing. Mm. But I came in, from a different angle, I came in because uh, because of the the testing and the model comparison angle, where you want to have a method for Occam's razor, right? You want to prefer mm. the simplest model that is still uh, reasonably consistent with the data, and Bayes does that for you automatically. So I was immediately impressed and uh, started to uh, read basically on my own um, uh, uh, some background uh, literature. So it was really never a part of my work officially but I did get an interest and just started to read. Right. And, and that's been a big theme in your work is model comparison and sort yeah. of championing this idea that you can even do it yeah. reasonably, right? Yeah, absolutely. So it, it must have taken me a while to realize that it, even though you can use it to compare complex non-nested models of cognition, you could also just do a t-test. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so, so I think it's extremely general. And uh, I also 
believe that it has a kind of elegance. So, uh, so yeah. were you aware before you learned about Bayesian statistics that the standard statistics is called frequentist? No. That's something you only know when you start doing yes. Bayesian, right? It's a yes, yes, yes. term yes. comes up. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, so what would you say is in the current field of psychology, sort of taking a new tack, uh, you wrote this editorial, The Crisis of Confidence, right, uh, a few years ago. That's been pretty influential. Um, what do you think is sort of the best way to approach this replication crisis in psychology? Do you feel like the Bayesian paradigm adds much to this, or do you think the issues are sort of more broad? This comes up in lots of discussions. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Well, um, yeah. So I do think the problems are more broad, and I actually don't think the the main problem the main problem is not statistics. The main problem is the data you are given mm. that you do your statistics on, right? Because if the it's kind of garbage in, garbage out, so y you have to make sure that the, the the data when they come in that they uh, they are you know that there's a certain measure of of uh, that they're unbiased in a way that uh, they're representative. Uh, and a host of other uh, concerns, right? You also want to have many data, of course, uh, if you uh, at all can. Um, but nevertheless, the analysis does add, uh, the, the frequentist analysis does aggravate uh, the problem. Hmm. In uh, what way? Well, in, in several ways. So uh, frequentist procedures, because they um, are less flexible, uh, in particular with respect to sequential sampling optional stopping mm -hmm. um, they they make it easy for people to 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 violate those assumptions and well cheat a little right w without often without knowing that they're cheating right because you think like okay I, I've seen 30 participants my p-value is tantalizingly close to 0.05 what is wrong with uh, putting in an additional effort and getting another 30 participants right this is more information how can that possibly be wrong and so, and of course, it's not wrong, but but you have to do a Bayesian analysis. Yes. Um, so, uh, in that sense, uh, f frequentist analysis are a little more dangerous. And also, the threshold we currently have, which is the at the 0.05 level for the sample sizes we have, it is just a very very lenient threshold. So, if you just pass that threshold and you say, okay, uh, you know, p equals 0.045. Um, I rejected the null hypothesis. If you take those data and you do a Bayesian analysis, you will find that the evidence is weak, um, irrespective of how you choose your prior distribution. Mm. Um, so I think that's a really strong argument against that threshold. And but if people, you know, people also have, um, and this is again, this is this is independent of what statistics you use. But people have a, a strong tendency to uh, see things in black and white and to want to do away with all uncertainty, right? There's an, aver an aversion to uncertainty. Yes. So it's very tempting to say, okay, it's, it's my p-value is smaller than 0.05, so now this means I reject the null hypothesis. You cannot complain about my result not being compelling. This is now set in stone. It's now the truth. In this experiment, I found this, this particular effect. Let's not discuss this anymore, right? It certainly has that feel. And uh, and of course that's uh, that's uh, from a scientific point of view that's not good practice right. and that leads to all kinds of problems where other people will then also believe like okay this effect has been demonstrated right and then they try to replicate it etc. But from a Bayesian perspective, uh, you may just it. it's not it's not very compelling at all. Right. 
So, so j j just because this came up uh, now, uh, you just published uh, with 71 other authors a paper where you proposed uh, to lower the p-value threshold to 005. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, can you tell us something about it briefly? Uh, yeah. Why so did you? <coughs> did you yeah, that's that? an interesting uh, exercise because um, I would say that many authors on that paper. Uh, see problems with both p-values and with hard thresholds and with imposing general guidelines across a wide range of disciplines, right? And nevertheless, they are authors on this paper, yeah. right? So why? Well, it's, it's actually very pragmatic. Right now, we are in a situation where we have a single threshold. Uh, it's across many disciplines and it's set at 0.05. So the o if you make th th the change to go to 0.005, then, um, th then it's an improvement in terms of evidence, right? Mm -hmm. And of course, it's not ideal. You're still stuck with all these other problems, right? But you cannot like solve... Like the dichotomous decision. Yes, 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 the, yes. Yeah. But you cannot solve all those problems at once, right? So there are some people who have responded who said like, well, you know, we also want to, uh, you know, uh, uh, take care of questionable research practices and we want to not have a fixed threshold for everything and we want to encourage scientific thinking and cure world hunger right <laughs> but you can have can't good weather on sunday have good weather on sunday come but to california <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> shut up <laughs> <laughs> but you know you can't you can't <laughs> deal with all of those things in 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 one fell swoop right you have to you have to uh, focus on the things you you, you can improve and this is a, a small improve um, uh, well it's a small measure in a way right you just say okay let's be a little bit more strict and uh, and the the consequences I think will be that that fewer claims will be based on this weak evidence. No, I would certainly believe more of what I read. Of course, uh, yeah. If, if, it, if this was the yeah. standard, if this yeah. were the standard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and uh, it's it's uh, it's interesting. So people are who are have been born and raised in classical statistics. They immediately say, "Well, what will happen with the type two error rate?" Right? Yeah. yeah. But there, the. I think it's important to let go of this idea that you have type one errors and type two errors. What you what you have, you have weak evidence, mm -hmm. and you have compelling evidence. And we don't want to regularly publish papers based on weak evidence. And no. this is what happens now. I mean, honestly, I could every day, perhaps every hour, if I develop an automatic procedure, <laughs> I could submit <laughs> a paper showing that showing that a recently published work in high impact journals has evidence that's not compelling. Right, you just well, look you at any. Maybe automate this. Yeah. yeah well, uh, who knows? <laughs> maybe I'll. Uh, maybe I will. But but, uh, yeah, and that's that's. Um, I think we need to move away from that uh, from that situation. And mm. so 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 to recapulate, the y y you guys who wrote this paper about the 005 standard are not necessarily fans of the p-value as such. You, you exactly. Some of you are actually uh, con uh, uh, convinced Bayesians, but you think. If we do this with PVs, then at least have a higher standard. Yeah, and, and it would also make it more difficult to critique classical analyses from a Bayesian point of view, which right now, if you have p-values near the 0.05 level, is, is, is very easy. You just do a reanalysis, which actually you can very easily do in JASP with the summary stats module. We'll get to it. But um, <laughs> uh, if you do that, you can easily show, like, it doesn't matter how I choose my prior distribution, the evidence is never compelling. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's that's so a actually devastating you're doing critique. You're doing the frequentist a favor. You give them a hint to make yeah, the fight absolutely. more interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, the, so 
if Bayesian analyses have all these benefits, why do you think they're still so less popular? Do you think it's just people don't know about them or they haven't no, been taught them or what do you yeah, think that I think is? <coughs> there are many reasons for for why this is. So I believe that uh, in a, a recent paper um, that we have in press for a psychonomic bulletin and review in the uh, opening uh, section, we discuss about 10 different reasons why this is the case. Oh. Um, but it's certainly, uh, and it, it, they're not all independent, right? So for instance, if you do not teach students how to do this, mm -hmm. they will grow up to be researchers who cannot do it mm -hmm. and reviewers who do not understand it. And then mm -hmm. of course, if you, if you know that that's the world you're operating in, why would you take the risk as an author to do a Bayesian analysis and send it in to a group of people who do not appreciate yeah. or so it's a systemic problem yeah yeah so mm. so at some point and i think that's really it's really important we need to change um something in our statistical uh, education because otherwise we're just raising a, another generation of students who have no clue who have to learn about bayesian statistics when they're confronted with it in the literature right and uh, yeah so that's so that's one of the one of the uh, bigger problems and of course also um related to that is the the, the fact that if you want to do a Bayesian analysis, it's not all Bayesian analyses are have been implemented in a software that's easy to use. So if you can't implement it easily, how can we expect researchers who are not statisticians uh, and who do not want to be statisticians uh, <laughs> to actually to actually do this? That's right. Uh, so uh, that was that one of the reasons you decided to develop your software JASP. Yes, so um, I was in the situation where I had a uh, I had read much about uh, Bayesian statistics, so my theoretical knowledge was uh, okay at the time, and uh, I uh, had written some papers about uh, the likelihood principle, and I, I summarized the the statistical arguments against the p-values, right? Because you have kind of the arguments that are used in psychology, uh, and that's usually of the uh, the type uh, the null hypothesis is never true. Um, those kinds of things. But the uh, statistical arguments are, I think, m more interesting and, and deeper. And so I, uh, I summarized those arguments. And every time I uh, would give a talk, then, of course, at the end, people would ask me, OK, now what how now? do I switch? <laughs> what do I do? I have this ANOVA. <laughs> I have this t-test. Please tell me how I can obtain a Bayesian result. And of course, if you don't have a good answer to the question, what do I, what do, I do as an alternative, then you know it's actually so what I'm saying is, in terms of maximizing your subjective utility, it, it can actually be better not to be a Bayesian because you have the, 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 the nice tools, the, the flexible uh, tools, the elegant tools, but if those tools are not available to you, then you're just better off sticking with what you know and sticking with the classical procedures, uh -huh. even though you may not like them. I see. I see. And so the, the, the idea of the jazz program was like, let's level the playing field Let's mm -hmm. make Bayesian procedures just as easy to implement as classical procedures. And then we can uh, sort of, it's, it's, it would be easier to convince people, give this a shot. So that's why you have both frequentist and Bayesian. Yes, so the, the, the actually I didn't want to do this. Um, this was actually the suggestion by uh, Jonathan, the first uh, programmer on the JASP uh, uh, project. Uh, I thought it was a bit uh, like, heresy to include uh, classical analyses mm -hmm. because the, the uh, you know I just wanted to make it easier to do the Bayesian analyses but yeah the uh, the idea is that um, 
many people will still start off with a classical analysis. And so in JASP, when you execute, say, a binomial test or something, you, will, you can do that. You can do your classical test, but then immediately below in the menu, you will see Bayesian binomial test, right? And the idea is that, well, you know, maybe people feel tempted to tick that button and, and, and see what happens. And so... And you uh, can compare them directly. Yeah. Yes. So the, um, the idea is for it to be a, a kind of Bayesian Trojan horse. Right. But uh, you could also uh, just say, look, it, it, uh, it uh, facilitates more inclusive statistical reporting where we do not only report the classical analyses, but we have access to the Bayesian ones as well. Mm -hmm. And perhaps we can report both. So it kind of your perspective depends a bit on, on how strong of a... Uh, how strongly convinced you are that the Bayesian paradigm is the only good paradigm. Uh -huh. This is funny that you say that because I notice in using Jasper, I teach it to my students as well, uh, that uh, you never get an output where you see them directly compared. Yeah. That's yeah. Th there's still th th clearly a sort yeah. of a wall between yeah. them. <laughs> well, that's also for pragmatic reasons because okay. we don't, we, we, although we have many tests that, that uh, are echoes, right? So, so, yes, the t-test, binomial test, regression. There are also um, th uh, tests that we are still developing a Bayesian equivalent to, right? So, right. a good example is actually the uh, the non-parametric t-test, oh, right? Yeah. So, you have the Will Coxon right, and uh, Man Whitney, uh, and uh, uh, my student uh, Johnny van Doorn mm -hmm. uh, has just developed Bayesian equivalents for those uh, oh, wow. tests. He will actually be presenting them uh, at the Mathematical Psychology Conference, where we are at right now. We've yeah. ducked out. Uh, yeah. Yep. And uh, so he will actually be presenting his work today. So okay. uh, I'm really excited about that, and we will include it in JASP soon. Okay. So, so one of the benefits of your JASP <coughs> development team, essentially, is not only do you make things accessible to people, but you also make a new analysis, yeah. right? Yeah. Like there's not really an accessible non-parametric yeah. Bayesian t-test, is Yes, there? no, there isn't. And that is really uh, uh, also a little surprising to me that you you would, that I, I believe, and, and so Bayesians themselves, Bayesian statisticians are actually to blame for the fact that a lot of practitioners do not use uh, those tools because some of those tools simply have not been invented. Like So yeah. the Bayesian statisticians want, usually they want uh, interesting statistical challenges. So they do very complicated analyses, but a pra practitioners would be greatly helped with a Bayesian Man Whitney, right? Yeah. And so, uh, <coughs> it's it's a little bit of a mystery to me why that hasn't been done. But you know, we're we're doing it, and um, we're uh, uh, trying to uh, uh, publish papers about these methods. Also, uh, the the guideline in our lab is when we develop these new methods, we aim to publish them in statistical journals. Mm -hmm. Because I, I feel that's important because if you publish it in uh, psychological journals, it will always remain, uh, it will always, there will always be a cloud of doubt surrounding those analyses, right? Um, they don't just right a psychologist, yeah. Yeah, yeah, not yeah, a real yeah. statistician. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Not yeah, a real yeah. statistician. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Uh, and uh, uh, no. rightly so. So we standard. go for the statistical journals and we try to uh, publish our uh, innovations there. I see. So do you... Um, do you know of any departments where JASP is being used for in teaching courses? So in Irvine, we uh, are third-year undergraduates when they do their experimental uh, research methods course. When they run their experiments, they have the choice to use SPSS that they know or R, or they also can use JASP. Do you know if this is being implemented anywhere? Or? Yeah, well, I actually, uh, um, some people tell me 
okay, I've implemented, I know at, uh, at OSU uh, uh, people, but it's, uh, um, and actually also, uh, so, okay, so let me rephrase this. Okay, so it's true that many individual people uh, use JASP in their courses at some point in the curriculum, but it's usually fairly late in the curriculum so, because it's a situation where they have complete control over the curriculum and they can easily say, oh, let's do JASP in, 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 instead of SPSS. It's actually funny. So uh, one uh, person told me that she had first given students SPSS and then at the end she had uh, shown them JASP as well and the students got angry with her oh. because they... W why didn't you do that Why first didn't you do it yeah, immediately? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the key, of course, is to get JASP to be used in these massive first-year uh, courses. That's what's really important. And I believe that this is indeed, uh, I won't uh, name names, but a few big universities also in the Netherlands are considering to, to do this. So it's make um, it's important that the manual is, is complete. Yes, so the manual needs to, be, needs to happen. And also there are still some uh, gaps in the, the tool set that we offer. Mm -hmm. Uh, that we're now uh, uh, closing. So we're working to include logistic regression. Mm. We need to have a chi-square test. You know, that's... So it's the really classics. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I think actually uh, when after we do the... Uh, after we've implemented logistic regression and the chi-square test, uh, we're pretty complete yeah. at that mm. point. I mean, you're never... Uh, it's it's never, uh, never complete, never SPSS, never finished, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it will be com complete as far as say first and second year uh, statistics courses. Right. Uh, Version uh, one will be complete, yeah, basically. Yeah. Yes. Oh. Um, speaking of these sort of early classes, do you remember your first statistics course that you took? Did you were you very good in statistics? <coughs> were you very mathematical? And well, um, this was twenty seven years ago, so ah. my memory is a little hazy, but. Um, I do recall that I found it mostly uh, easy and this was mainly, so in the Dutch educational system when you're doing high school you have two kinds of math, well back in the day at least you yeah, had two I kinds of math mathematics that you could do, the kind of applied kind that's relatively straightforward and the um, more scientific kind with integration and, and was it called A or B or a one or two? Because I was B. in the older generation where it was one and two. Yeah, yeah. Mm. when I was uh, when I went through high school, it was A and B. Uh, so I did uh, B, which okay. was the more uh, yeah. um, uh, serious kind in a way. And uh, and with that background, it was really easy because you had to do some sums of squares. So I didn't really uh, pay a lot of attention, and uh, I just went through the motions and. Uh, I think I'm, my grade must have been okay because the overall grade for the f for the first year was good. I, this is when I still attended uh, uh, class and uh, oh. and played chess. Uh, I, I did play chess, but it <laughs> got way worse in later years. So okay. uh, my grades <laughs> dropped. But uh, uh, yeah, that first year was pretty good. I, I can't remember the grade, but uh, yeah, it, it, I, it was mostly easy. But I also thought it was intellectually uninspiring, absolutely. Mm. And mm. I think many people. Many students come away with uh, uh, with that idea, intellectually uninspiring. And I honestly think, I still think classical statistics is intellectually uninspiring. Hmm. Uh, so we have this idea on this uh, podcast. We want to sort of do a behind the manuscript uh, mm -hmm. and sort of get, mm -hmm. get the dirty details behind mm -hmm. influential papers or books. Uh, and we were wondering, so you have a paper that's, uh, very well cited, I think, besides the reproducibility project, it's your highest cited paper, from 2007, a practical solution to the pervasive problem of p-values. 
could you tell us how you came to write this paper or you know was yeah 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 what was your rounds of review like did the editors sort of give you a lot of trouble or yes you know, what's the story because yes. it's been extremely influential we right. both sort of started with this paper when we entered Bayes. yeah well this was a, a fun fun paper to write and and it well, it's actually also a pretty big paper so there's lots of material in there and i think a paper like that uh it does require uh, some serious study of the statistical literature so i basically started to read the uh, literature the statistical literature on p-values and bayesian statistics just for fun just because it uh, uh, interested me but at some point uh i i I had re read quite a lot, so I had a good overview. And then I noticed that uh, in the psychological literature, um, there weren't very many statistical arguments that were being raised. So there was kind of a disconnect betwe between what psychologists felt and also methodologists in psychology, what, how they felt about p-values and how statisticians felt about them. Mm. So I thought like, okay, Maybe it's good if I just introduce all of those statistical arguments to the uh, 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 psychological literature. So I, I set out to do this, and uh, then I visited uh, Irvine and visited my good friend uh, Mark Stivers, and I showed him what I had done. And Mark said, "Well, this this is this is great, but uh, it it's lacking something. It is lacking a solution, because you can't just complain about something." and not offer a solution because what are people supposed to do, right? Yeah, feel bad. Yeah, yeah, feel bad and, and, and ignore it and do the same thing that they've always done. So I thought, okay, I need to find some uh, practical solution. And so the second part of the paper... So you added two Ps to the title. That's right, added two Ps to the title and <laughs> the uh, second part of the paper is about the BIC approximation right. to the base factor as a yeah. pragmatic uh, alternative. Because at this time there was no real software available to a, a layman to no there wasn't software available and also um i at that point i don't think i was fully aware of jeffrey's work uh harold so jeffrey's, harold jeffrey's first mm -hmm. proposed uh, well uh, yeah first really seriously proposed and systematically developed base factors um mm. and he so has how, did you, how did you find out about them yeah, that's interesting. That because that was work from like the 1920s and yes, 30s. Yes, yes, yes. But that was that was also very long before I discovered that 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 there was this earlier work, right? So the first time you read about Jeffries, you go for his 1961 third edition book, Theory of Probability, and then if you like that book, and uh, it's an amazing book. It's it's my favorite book. It's but it's very difficult to read. Um, yeah, that's an understatement. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, you actually need a separate you need a uh, translation, translation or, 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 yeah, of like yeah. what do all these symbols mean. Yes. But, um, but it is an amazing book. Uh, and then from that book, then I went back to the earlier literature. But uh, to get to that book, I think... Um, it must have been after you wrote the people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Must have been. Must have been. I actually wonder whether I even cite and must have cited him. You probably do. Um, yeah. So, no, but the, 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 the paper that... Um, because you talk about base factors in the 2000s. Yes, yes, yes. But, the, but there is a paper uh, that is cited well in, in statistics. And it is was published in Psychological Review in 1963 mm -hmm. by Edwards, yes, Linton, and Savage. Yeah. And they also discuss base factors. And no. they also actually raise exactly the same problem that we uh, that motivated the uh, the recent paper, the one the yeah. 005 uh, yeah. new standards paper, right? So that paper is still highly relevant, 
It's just, and it's well written, it's just that at the start of that psych review paper, they immediately confuse the reader with a lot of mathematics and a lot of details yes. that will stop a- anybody from reading it. But exactly. once you get go through that or just skip it, right, you get to this wonderful uh-huh. uh, exposition of, uh, of uh, base factors and Bayesian reasoning. Um, and they address, th- so that's also, a, that's also a great paper to read, but you have to know wh- which, which sections to skip. Mm. So I'm not quite sure. I, so I think like maybe I landed on Jeffrey's based mm. on uh, the uh, 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 the, uh, the the Edwards Lindman and Savage paper. Yeah. Yes, but I'm not 100 percent sure because Cass and Reftree's uh, 1995 base him, factor yeah. re- reference him, and so at some point I must have uh, bought the book and started to read it. But but I'm not sure when that okay. uh, when no, that that's happened. Really interesting. So did the was the were the reviewers kind of hard on that? Oh, I think it was relatively straightforward. Oh. Yeah, it was relatively straightforward. Well, you know, PBNR, uh, Psychonomic Bulletin and Review, is a uh, very nice journal, I feel, and because they, they do the short empirical reports, mm. but they also do these very long uh, theoretical articles. Yeah. So I mm. think my article, actually, now that I think of it, it could, it may be that I send it first to Psych Review. Mm-hmm. Because that's, if you have a, long theoretical article that you're really proud of uh-huh. uh, what you used to do anyway is first yeah. send it to psych review because that that's kind of the really yeah. high <laughs> and then if it gets rejected there yeah. you send it to pbnr yeah. for the theory well, and review uh, section because uh, that's actually very well read so that that route uh, i would have to go back to emails uh, from uh, a yeah. long time yeah. ago but uh, maybe that's what happened well, there were some remarks in your 2007 paper where i thought this might have been instigated by a reviewer it doesn't sound like you would like to yeah. happily si- write that yourself yeah yeah that's that's <laughs> like, quite like possible although my my views have changed have shifted you've you've become much more uh, inclusive yeah. in your writing lately or more you know yeah. Yeah. Uh, less true. polemic perhaps. yeah 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 no that's true that's mm-hmm. that's definitely true we all true. get older yeah. oh yeah, we yes. get older and i under <laughs> I understand a few things uh, uh, better now, okay, and it's a, yeah. it's actually amazing that once you start to uh, read about a particular topic, but in my case, Bayesian statistics, that you you can at some point you know like okay, I have I have some a good understanding at least of the conceptual foundation, but then when you look at it more deeply, you realize oh, there's so much I yeah. do not know. So yeah, it's, it's so it's quite nice how much there's still to learn. Yeah. Yeah. So another thing that you wrote, which is uh, uh, widely used, is your book with Michael Lee about yes. Bayesian cognitive modeling. Yes. Uh, could you also tell us how that came about? Uh, yes. Um, there's, um, there's a story on the JASP blog yeah, about yeah, this, yeah. but it's f- sort of very short. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we want the long version. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, well, it's it's actually somewhat similar to the st- to what we were talking about. Sort of the the how do you there's this a theoretical a desirable tool, but now how do you actually use it? Yeah. Um, so back in the day, I I had read a lot about uh, Bayesian statistics, but if you were to ask me, apply it to a s- concrete problem, I would, uh, you know, that would be an issue just as it uh, would be for, for many a uh, psychologist at the time. So I, I had started to, I had read the book by Gelman and Hill at the time, I mm-hmm. think I had read mm-hmm. it at the, at the time. About multi-level regression. Yes, yes. yes. Mm-hmm. And they covered the uh, 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 frequentist case, uh, but then they continue to the Bayesian case, and they also have uh, R-code in there. Uh, and, 
Winbox, was it? Yeah, I think that was Winbox at the time, right? It was mm-hmm. the only thing that yeah. was I available. I think so, yeah. So, um, so I, I read that and I did a few exercises, but, but I still wasn't quite comfortable. Then I visited um, Michael Lee, also at the University of Irvine. The mecca of Bayesian statistics. It's a good place yeah, to be. It's a good place to be. <laughs> well, nothing, <laughs> nothing ever happens, but it's a good place to be. Uh-huh, okay. <laughs> so, um, uh, but anyway, so we uh, were doing a book chapter at the time, and it was an interesting, uh, we had to analyze a particular data set that was kind of part of the deal. And uh, it was a data set on patients with... Uh, uh, DID, uh, what was it? Dissociable identity disorder. Identity disorder. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Uh, so these are people who believe that they are Mary at some time, and then they are Claire, and Claire has no clue what Mary has done, right? And that uh-huh. was the that was the thing that they wanted to know. Do mm. the uh, is there a, a, a transfer a memory? How 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 does so, yeah, so they had a fantastic experiment that they did actually, but because they had control people and they had DID people and uh, and a third group. So the idea was that they let uh, people study a list of words uh, and the DID uh, group, wait, let me, let me reconstruct this because it's, it's actually a great experiment. Oh yeah, so, the, so suppose, uh, what they did is they, they, they told this patient, for instance, like, okay, now you're Mary, right? And this person would say, yes, I'm Mary. You know, okay, study this list of words, right? Okay. And then later on, they would, uh, they would a different person would, would manifest itself, and they asked that person to recall words that Mary had studied, okay. right? Oh. Okay. And so um, then the, in the, con- the control group, um, was well, you had two. You, you had two groups. One group did the same thing; they just studied two lists of words. And the uh, there was another group who had uh, no knowledge of the words whatsoever because they never saw them in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so the idea was, if the patients are faking it, right? If they, they, if they really comparable. have knowledge, they should be comparable to the no knowledge group. Uh, no, no, if they should actually real. do worse. So the the uh-huh. thing is, they could uh, uh, no wait what. Oh, if this is if terrible, they're faking it, they should be like better than the comparison group, right? Because they or well, they would, I they would feign that they're very bad at it. Yes, yes, it was. It Worse was. See than that chance, it was. I can't even. It's a while ago, actually. Oh. But this was <laughs> this was over ten years ago. But but the, uh, the but but I do recommend the paper because yeah. it uh, uh, the the, the, the experiment the the experiment was uh, really nicely set up. I, my memory of it, yeah, as we uh, now know, is is incomplete. <laughs> but it was it was a, a really great experiment. But the analysis we wanted to do was pretty complex because we decided we want to know whether those patients fall into either one group or the other group or whether they're a group of their own, right? So it was a complicated hierarchical mixture model. So um, so how do you do this, right? And so. I'm in this uh, office room with Michael Lee and I'm philosophizing like, yes, um, a mixture model, hierarchical, we could do it like this. And Michael is uh, uh, sitting close to me behind his laptop. I think like maybe he's checking his email, you know. (laughs) uh, But in fact, he was just implementing these models as we were discussing them and almost at the same speed where we were sort of coming up with relatively complex, difficult to fit models. He was implementing them in Winbox and uh, it worked immediately and produced uh, very informative, nice results. So I was, I was really impressed when I saw that. And I thought like, okay, 
I have to get in on this game because I want to be able to do this too, right? What oh, an amazing okay. skill to have. Um, I'm, I'm sure you could analyze the, the, those data with a classical uh, method as well, but it would be extremely difficult. Yes. So, so that's why you decided to write the book? Well, then I uh, asked Michael, okay, I want to do this too. And Michael said, well, I have some course materials. Mm. And ah. he, so he had some chapters from the book ready, oh. uh, but it was not very well organized. And uh, th But I took the materials and uh, brought them to Amsterdam. And we started to do a reading group and add new uh, uh, examples, ah. and then it started to grow. Yeah, I think you used it in the course in Bielefeld that you gave. Yes. In my, uh, in my yes, book. but it was more complete than. Yeah, uh, but it was still uh, not a book. It was yeah, still a PDF. Yeah, yeah. Right, and right, and right. later it became a book. Yes. Okay. Yeah. But then we had already uh, made the decision. Let's turn this into a. Uh, let's turn this into a book. Mm -hmm. So, um, so we started to edit more and more material and uh, yeah. greatly expanded what Michael started mm -hmm. with. Um, and so then you end up with a book with a very scary cover of these Lego monsters climbing yeah. out of a soup Lego or something. Art. Yes. Lego art. Yeah. Yes. And well, if you wrote a second edition of this book, it's been a few years now since the sort of initial version came out. Would you, would you add more material? Would you change the way you presented it? Add more examples? How, how would you think about doing this? Yeah, so we are thinking of a volume two. Okay. Um, Volume two or edition two? Mm, well, it probably oh, it good. needs. Yeah. yeah, it probably needs both. Be, I, it needs an edition two because you know we have some list of uh, uh, mistakes uh, online somewhere, but uh, but we cle clearly it would be good to just fix those mistakes and uh, yeah. and update the book a little bit. Update so the code, maybe yeah, add yeah, some yeah. Stan or something. Yeah, well, it it, it has the, the the examples are inst available in Stan oh. uh, as well. Yeah. It's just not oh. in the book itself. It's ah, on the website. I see. I see. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, so definitely could do with a second edition. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, volume two is, uh, uh, we're discussing uh, volume two and there's a, uh, there are of course new examples that we would want to add. Um, and uh, there's also a few uh, models that we don't cover or we don't cover enough. So for instance, uh, there's some time series stuff that mm -hmm. we that that's not very prominent in the book, but but that's very nice, and hmm. there's some other ideas we have, but uh, we still need to uh, discuss the details. I see. So maybe as our last question, we'll sort of go on, continue on this book train, and so uh, I know you're writing a few more books mm -hmm. at the moment. You sort mm -hmm. of. Uh, very prolific in your booking right now. Uh, At least uh, <laughs> starting in the, books. In the ideas <laughs> department. Uh, yes. yes. The execution, that's always a matter of time. Uh, well, and, uh, that's right. Well, could you tell us about these other books that you're writing? We've, we've yeah. discussed sort of a JASP manual. Yes. Um, so the JASP manual. So uh, we have some, um, uh, we have uh, a few chapters ready, but clearly uh, we need to do much more. Um, and then there's uh, the, the, the one book that that is uh, furthest along is uh, Bayesian Bedtime Stories. Bayesian Bedtime Stories. Yes, yes uh, the, the first title was... A you have a thing with alliteration, don't you? Well, yeah, <laughs> I, I do. I, do. I, I try not to overdo it, but... No, th the first title... <laughs> this is for toddlers, babies? Yeah, well, exactly. You're testing it's, it out on your son? A baby on the cover, probably. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, uh, no, the first title was Case, Case Studies in Bayesian Analysis. Ah. Right, but uh, I mean, who's going to buy that? No, no. This sounds that? not for children under 18. No, yeah. no. <laughs> but bedtime stories sounds much better. And besides, it is meant to be fun. Ah. Uh, but what age is it aimed at? Uh, no, it's for researchers. It's for researchers. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. it's a joke. But it's okay. a, you no, know, well, there's, I mean, there's like a... No, start no, early but no, 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 but they are, they are bedtime stories in the sense that I aim to keep these chapters short 
they have uh, they have pictures, right? I'm working with a graphical artist, Victor Bakeman. So I oh have yeah. an idea about a picture. I tell him, can you draw this picture? And he uh, he adds his own ideas and he mm -hmm. draws a wonderful picture. So the book has a lot of pictures, has a lot of historical background. It also covers open science and mm. uh, cool. kind, of, kind of, you know, f because with open science, you can also have a Bayesian perspective on, uh, on questionable research practices. Um, Is it going to be open access? Yeah, so the idea is to um, the idea I have now is to uh, make the PDF uh, freely available, mm -hmm. but uh, also allow people to buy the book uh, if they want to hard copy book hard copy book uh, from a self-publishing uh, uh, agency like okay. Lulu or something. Okay. Mm. Right, I'm never going to go to any uh, uh, commercial cool. publisher ever again. I have very bad experiences with them. Was so that with the, the Lee book? Uh, yeah, for instance. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because they they uh, you basically get ripped off. Yeah, mm. that's the essence of uh, it. Yes. And uh, and so, uh, <laughs> and, so and you don't readers. have control, right? If you if yeah. you uh, uh, with LaTeX, you can you can uh, produce a wonderfully um, uh, uh, typeset book, and you have complete control. So if you want edition two, right? Because you've you you can just fix some errors, upload a new version mm. to uh, Lulu yes. or wherever, and yes. and that's it. So mm. that's very attractive. Any other books? Um, uh, yes, uh, let's see, which was the other one? So there, so we are trying to set up also a library of um, data sets th that we will also include in JASP, but uh, that's, uh, uh, that's not really a book, I guess. That's more like a collection okay. of data sets. Um, wait, I did have one other, oh yes, there's another one that is, that is, uh, that I'm- uh, In the pipeline. Uh, yeah, together with Wolf van Pamel. Um, we are thinking of a book that addresses all the misconceptions that people have about various aspects of Bayesian inference. Oh. So it's almost like a frequently asked questions so mm. that if the same topic comes up very again, useful. oh, the null hypothesis is never true, so why are you testing it? Then you can just reply, uh, number 14 in this book here, oh. right? Yeah. And so uh, we have a preliminary list of about 40, 40 misconceptions. Wow. Mm. And uh, our responses to them, so it's just a matter of uh, getting it done. I see. But, mm. uh, wow. Yeah. That's mm. going to take, you know, to do all of that, it's obviously going to take uh, take a lot of time, but we'll see. I'm ca quite uh, enthusiastic about it. And if I had anything to say about what I do with my own time, <laughs> I would just concentrate just on those books. But, you know, you have students, and the students need to write articles in no, peer reviewed journals. It's but you, you're very productive. So, uh, we're coming to the end. I, I want to, um, uh, before we really close, I want to say that anything you want to share, just send it to us. We will link to it on the website that goes with this po podcast so people can download it. Okay, great. And uh, Maybe so the uh, maybe the, the paper on the DID patients would be a good one. So we can link that. Yeah, exactly. Yes, I, yes, I mentioned yeah. that in passing that we would like to link yeah, to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so that would be great. Th that would be great. Uh, so... Uh, EJ, thank you very oh, much for wait, your time. Wait, 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 wait. wait. I do <laughs> have an important message. Oh, there's a message. Oh, there's sorry, I didn't message, know that. Yes. You should have been. Uh, no, well, let's broadcast I it. I forgot. Yes, but, okay. Uh, there we go. I do want to say that, uh, so when, uh, after, for both JASP and for uh, the book that I've done with Michael Lee, um, you can wonder, now I have these resources, but still, if you only have those resources, you might find it challenging to interpret the output, to do things yourself. Mm -hmm. And so every year in Amsterdam, we organize workshops connected to those products. So we have a two-day workshop on JASP and we have a five-day workshop on 
um, on uh, the, the cognitive uh, uh, models based on the book with Michael. And yes. so these are happening this year, end of August. End of and August. There are still some places available. So if people want to uh, come to those workshops, the entire lab is, and Michael as well, we're, uh, and Richard Moray for the jazz workshop, actually, mm -hmm. we're all there. We're all uh, teaching and helping out. And I can highly recommend those workshops. And if you go to the JASP website, jasp-stats.org. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll link to that as you well. Can, yeah, you we'll can link to this uh, as well. go to the workshops and see whether it's something that would benefit. Uh, so this episode you. may come out after that ah. point. Uh, ah. we're, not, we're not sure but yet. Well, but next year Next then. year. Next you know, year. Okay. And, 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 uh, uh, and if we have more time and maybe we reach more people that way who will still enlist. I did both of these courses and they're fantastic. So no. I can That's only recommend them. Yes, well, thank you. thank you, EJ, for joining yeah. us. Uh, perhaps we'll have you on another episode yeah, one great, day. Great, great. Yeah, that was, yeah. This thank was you lovely. so much. Good. You can find this podcast and all the background information mentioned in it on the Tufts High Lab website at sites.tufts.edu slash hilab slash podcast or follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at the base factor. We want to thank Sol Albert and Laura de Ruiter for their technical support, Sotaro Kita from Warwick University for generously letting us use his lab for several interviews, the Cognition and Individual Differences Lab at UC Irvine for their financial support, and Theo Vosse for creating the music for this podcast.